Gatsby, who represented everything for which I have an unaffected scorn. If personality is an unbroken series of successful gestures, then there was something gorgeous about him. Some heightened sensitivity to the promise of life, as if he were related to one of those intricate machines that register earthquakes 10,000 miles away. You're listening to Near 90.3 FM and this is the second programme in our series looking at English, the English module on the Leaving Cert examination this year. I'm joined in the studio by students from Colossa Dulig and by their teacher, Leslie Dowdall. You're welcome to the show, Leslie. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I'm joined here by Alan, Sophie and Brandon. You're all very welcome. Thanks. And the novel that we're looking at and the excerpt that we heard from at the beginning of the programme was from The Great Gatsby. And that's the novel that you guys have picked to uh, study for your Leaving Cert. And you're also doing that in conjunction with another uh, novel, Never Let Me Go, and the film Juno, which is quite unusual to me. But I'll be interested to see how you're going to make them all link together as well. So the first excerpt that we heard there was Nick's description of Gatsby. And I suppose one of the questions that comes up in the Leaving Cert is... Um, say from the ordinary level paper a couple of years ago was Gatsby is a mysterious and unusual character. Do you, what do you think of the character of Gatsby? Anybody? Yeah, well, I agree with that because at the beginning of the book Gatsby is portrayed as like kind of shy and he wants to approach Nick but he does this by inviting him to a party to find out what he really thinks about him. Okay, why do you think he's having all the parties or what do you think that's about? Or? He's just insociable and he doesn't have many friends and he hopes one day Daisy would arrive at the party. Yeah. And when he's, I suppose when you're thinking of unusual, what's, who in the book is usual in that place? Like, you know, what characters are usual there? You know, what characters fit into that world, I suppose? Well, Daisy and Tom Buchanan. And can anyone explain to people who Daisy and Tom are? Uh, Tom and Daisy are a couple who live across the way from Gatsby. Um, but what we learn further in the book is that Daisy used to be in love with Gatsby before Gatsby went off to fight the war, uh, World War One. That's that's a big uh, kind of a story. That's a big part of the story, isn't it? That Daisy is or Tom, Gatsby wants to get Daisy back. Yeah. yeah. She was the first nice girl he had ever known. In various unrevealed capacities, he had come in contact with such people, but always with indiscernible barbed wire between. He found her excitingly desirable. He went to her house, at first with other officers from Camp Taylor, then alone. It amazed him. He had never been in such a beautiful house before. But what gave it an air of breathless intensity was that Daisy lived there. It was as casual a thing to her as his tent out at camp was to him. And kiss me, just hold me tight there was a right mystery about it. A hint of bedrooms upstairs more beautiful and cool than other bedrooms. Of gay and radiant activities taking place through its corridors. And of romances that were not musty and laid away already in lavender but fresh and breathing and redolent of this year's shining motor cars and of dances whose flowers were scarcely withered. 
It excited him too that many men had already loved Daisy. It increased her value in his eyes. Gatsby is a mysterious and unusual character. Would you agree with it? And if you did agree with it, what what would you? What um, else would you write? I would agree with it because he's a very secretive character, but uh, it you never really find out why he's secretive. But um, he never tells anybody where he got his money or generally his past. The only thing we really know about him or find out about him is that he fought in the war. But Nick really has to dig to try to find uh, things about Gatsby. He hears a lot of rumours, but not all of them are true. Like, we don't know where exactly Gatsby might have got all that money, whether or not like he really did fight in the war or anything like that. He doesn't really... Um, express his past and things like that and it's like he wants to keep it uh, kind of out of the story and I suppose the writer is trying to make him unusual how does he make what's unusual about him is his like appearance unusual is his, is there anything out of the ordinary about him or I think it's just the way he acts like he, he keeps like he looks at Nick out the window and things like that um, he kind of seems kind of distant from his parties even though he sets them up it's like he's just sitting waiting for someone and uh, that person would be Daisy, but she never comes to the parties or nothing like that, so he never really sees her there or gets involved with his party members. Half of them don't even know who he is. They've just been invited randomly. So, Leslie, if they were looking at that quest, I mean, what are, what are they, say at an ordinary level, um, we get on to a higher level as we go on, so that question, you know, what are they looking for? Because you needed quite a lot in that answer, don't you? Yeah, so generally, if you're looking at the single text answer, um, the students will be assessed on their in-depth knowledge of the text. Um, kind of possible areas for them to focus on would be theme, plot, character, relationships, social setting, narrative style, imagery and the writer's use of language. Um, all of those things will be looked at throughout the, the course of their answer. Um, it's also important for higher and ordinary level to avoid just kind of summarising the texts. It's really important to answer the question that's set on the paper and kind of deal with the issues that rise in the question. So, for example, in that question, we don't want a, just a summary of Gatsby's character. We want to pinpoint the areas that are mysterious and are unusual. It's really about being organised as well for the, the, yes, the exam. Yes, structure isn't is it? really important. The the kind of clear, coherent structure of the essay also counts for like 30% of the marks. Yeah. Um. So their use of kind of paragraphs and only putting in one point or issue per paragraph is very important as well. Yeah. And looking at another question... Um. Uh, I'm just going to pose the question then we're going to listen to an extract and then we're going to talk about it so you can have a think about it while we're playing the piece um, so it's write a piece beginning with one of the following statements I think the world of the novel is glamorous and exciting or I think the world of this novel is dangerous and unpleasant and then support your answer with reference to the text it's quite a difficult question I would say even for ordinary level but let's take an extract uh, from uh, the novel The Great Gatsby which looks at Carraway's description of Gatsby's parties, which I suppose is the kind of glamorous world we're talking about. On weekends, his Rolls Royce became an omnibus, bearing parties to and from the city. Between nine in the morning and long past midnight, while his station wagon scampered like a brisk yellow bug to meet all trains. And on Mondays, eight servants, including an extra gardener, 
toiled all day with mops and scrubbing brushes and hammers and garden shears, repairing the ravages of the night before. Every Friday, five crates of oranges and lemons arrived from a fruiterer in New York. Every Monday, these same oranges and lemons left his back door in a pyramid of pulpless halves. There was a machine in the kitchen which could extract the juice of 200 oranges in half an hour if a little button was pressed 200 times by a butler's thumb. Okay, that was an extract from The Great Gatsby where Carraway describes Gatsby's parties and the kind of extravagance of it. I suppose when he's talking about the the orange machine, he's kind of saying how extravagant it was that um, that they brought all of this in for just kind of a weekend party. So just in terms of that question we posed before the excerpt, do you find the setting of the novel glamorous or did you find it unpleasant? What, what did you find it or...? It's like more glamorous because like everything is like really over the top and extravagant like with Gatsby. Yeah, all his parties and yeah. stuff like that. Did you feel like you would have liked to have gone to one of the parties? Yeah. I felt towards the end of like the the book, the world is more displayed as unpleasant and dangerous when Myrtle gets hit by Gatsby's car and then everything from this point becomes hectic because everyone is either trying to find what's happened or else cover their own tracks. Yeah, and what about that part where did you find that shocking in the novel when Myrtle is... Is yeah. killed. It's that paragraph where they describe the aftermath of the scene. That's quite yeah, and how shocking. Her, her husband went through the, like how he dealt with her death. Yeah, afterwards. Well, we get on to that now in a minute as well. And the way that they covered up yeah. her death as well. Um, so again, one of the questions that came up, and this is a higher level paper, is kind of asking the same question more or less. It's saying, readers often find aspects of The Great Gatsby attractive, but ultimately the world of the novel is not admirable. So what would you think of that? How would you approach that question? Um, I think it it's a good question because it's, it's trying to... The Great Gatsby is kind of exciting and things like that, but everyone wants to kind of live an exciting life, but... In The Great Gatsby, it's not the kind of exciting that you want. It's exciting dangerous because, like uh, Brandon said at the end where Myrtle gets hit by the car, um, there was consequences to that and things like that. So it wasn't really the best life to live for someone who had so much money. They could have done a lot better with the money rather than just spend it on parties. And And I suppose the, the world that he's trying to fit into, Tom and Daisy are the people that represent... That world, aren't they? And what about those characters? Do we like those characters of Tom and Daisy? Um, I think Tom was very kind of unloyal and Daisy was, again, unloyal because she was with Gatsby, but Tom was with his mistress and it kind of, they were unloyal to each other and they just uh, seemed like they didn't really like each other. It was kind of like they're living together and she's only living with him because he has money and he only has her because she's good looking. And it's just the way it was. Yeah. And at the end, though, after they kill Myrtle, though, they kind of come back together, don't they? Or like Tom and Daisy. They like there's that scene where they're in the kitchen when Gatsby's looking or Nick Carraway's looking through the, the, the window. What did you think of that scene when they come back and you can see the two of them, Tom and Daisy, sitting together? Uh, and obviously they're going to cover up this. Or I think they sort of use their relationship as a, a plot. So they'd cover each other's tracks and have each other's back. So they'd sort of make an alibi for each other. So they're in the clear, really. Yeah. And isn't it kind of a thing that Gatsby 
um, even though we tried to be part of that world, but that when it came down to the crux of it, that they all those type of people would kind of stick together. Is is that kind of what the writer was trying to say? Do you think? Yeah, he was sort of left on his own at the towards the end. It was Nick was really his only true friend. Crossing the porch where we had dined that June night three months before, I came to a small rectangle of light which I guessed was the pantry window. The blind was drawn, but I found a rift at the sill. Daisy and Tom were sitting opposite each other at the kitchen table with a plate of cold fried chicken between them and two bottles of ale. He was talking intently across the table at her, and in his earnestness his hand had fallen upon and covered her own. Once in a while, she looked up at him and nodded in agreement. They weren't happy, and neither of them had touched the chicken or the ale. And yet, they weren't unhappy either. There was an unmistakable air of natural intimacy about the picture, and anybody would have said that they were conspiring together. As I tiptoed from the porch, I heard my taxi feeling its way along the dark road toward the house. Gatsby was waiting where I had left him in the drive. Is it all quiet up there? He asked anxiously. Yes, it's all quiet. I hesitated. You'd better come home and get some sleep. He shook his head. I want to wait here till Daisy goes to bed. Good night, old sport. He put his hands in his coat pockets and turned back eagerly to his scrutiny of the house, as though my presence marred the sacredness of the vigil. So I walked away and left him standing there in the moonlight, watching over nothing. Now, just looking at the questions again, to go back to the questions again on the exam paper, and one of the questions I came across was, again, talking about Tom and Daisy. And you were asked um, what happens when Nick visits Tom and Daisy for the first time. And do you think they had a happy marriage? Well, I think when Gatsby finally meets Daisy again, when they first like, see each other, they start to revive their old relationship they had before Gatsby went off to the war. And then that's what really kickstarted their affair. Yeah. Do you think Gatsby has something that is missing with Tom and Daisy's marriage? Do you think he's do you think he's like the opposite of Tom, would you say? Yeah, I, I think um the difference between Tom and Gatsby uh is Gatsby is new rich or new wealth, as uh they call him in the book, and Tom is old wealth. So that means that he inherited the money. Um so he grew up in this kind of uh, environment where he's kind of ignorant to the outside world and how other people live but Gatsby has been there he's been a soldier he's been through all of that so he kind of understands people more and he's a lot more uh, kind to people because he knows uh, being kind will get you further yeah yeah and Tom do you think Tom is impressed by Gatsby at all does he like Gatsby I think like Tom is a bit jealous of him to be honest like because he's looking at his wife, like, falling all over this, like, handsome young fellow with, like, loads of money now. Yeah. So, obviously, he's going to get a bit jealous and not like him. 
And Tom was one of these characters whereby he was like a kind of a sports star or something when he was younger, yeah. wasn't he? And that he, I think he says at one stage, it's all gone downhill. Yeah. Come down. He starts getting a beer belly and all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> away from me cause I'm in my sin There were the same people or at least the same sort of people the same profusion of champagne the same many-coloured, many-keyed commotion but I felt an unpleasantness in the air a pervading harshness that hadn't been there before or perhaps I'd merely grown used to it grown to accept West Egg as a world complete in itself, with its own standards and its own figures, second to nothing because it had no consciousness of being so. And now I was looking at it again, through Daisy's eyes. They arrived at twilight, and as we strolled out among the sparkling hundreds, Daisy's voice was playing murmurous tricks in her throat. These things excite me so, she whispered. If you want to kiss me any time during the evening, Nick, just let me know and I'll be glad to arrange it for you. Just mention my name or present a green card. I'm giving out green. Look around suggested Gatsby. I'm looking around. I'm having a marvellous... You must see the faces of many people you've heard about. Tom's arrogant eyes roamed the crowd. We don't go around very much, he said. In fact, I was just thinking, I don't know a soul here. We've spoken about the the standalone question we've been looking at Great Gatsby, but you guys are actually learning Great Gatsby in conjunction with Never Let Me Go, the novel, and Juno, the film. And that's for the comparative study question. Leslie, if you could just quickly describe what the comparative study question is. Yeah, the comparative is basically where students are asked to compare or contrast um, three different texts under what the, what the department prescribe as comparative modes. So, for example, this year, the comparative modes that are on the Leave and Cert course um, for higher level are theme or issue, general vision and viewpoint and literary genre. And then for ordinary level, relationships, theme and hero, heroine or villain. So they'd be expected to compare all three texts under one of those headings. And generally, students will study two and then on the day, one will come up on the exam. So, for example, the students this year are looking at theme or issue and general vision and viewpoint. They haven't covered literary genre. And then on the day, they'll answer on one or the other. Okay. Um, And then the three texts will be compared under one of those headings. So, obviously, theme or issue is things like, you know, relationships, wealth, corruption, things like that. General vision and viewpoint is the outlook of the text. So, kind of overall, would it be a pessimistic text? text or an optimistic text. Okay. And one of the texts then, as I said, is Never Let Me Go, which is a novel. I'm going to get one of you guys to kind of explain the story to me. But first, I thought would be 
good for listeners would be to listen to the trailer of the movie they made, which kind of gives a sense of what the, the story is about. My name is Kathy H. I'm 28 years old. I now spend most of my time not looking forwards, but looking back in what happened to us at Hailsham. Why didn't Tommy get the ball? There was once a boy who had ran off beyond the boundary. They found him in the woods, with his hands and feet cut off. Who told you these stories? Everybody knows them. And how do you know they're true? You make up stories as horrible as that. Students of Hailsham are special. Yes, Miss Emily. Keeping yourselves well, keeping yourselves healthy inside, is of paramount importance. None of you will do anything except live the life that has already been set out for you. And sometime around your third donation, your short life will be complete. That's what you're created to do. And that was a trailer from the movie adaptation of the book Never Let Me Go, which the students from Colossa Dulicare are using as their comparative study text for the Leave Insert. And uh, just if you could, if one of you could briefly describe what the book is about. Uh, the book is about uh, three kids growing up, uh, but they're not normal kids. They've been kind of made as, as such in a lab, but they've been kind of all all they're alive to do is to donate their vital organs to help other people or real people, um, and it just follows uh, these three kids going from being very young to the moment where the very last one of them actually passes away. And also the film Juno, and Juno is is the film about the young schoolgirl that gets pregnant and wants to, um, it's about her relationship with her potential adoptive parents of the, the baby as well. So Leslie, what have the, the students then themselves been um, doing in terms of the comparative study question? Um, so for this year, the fifth year students for 2016 Leaving Cert, the comparative modes are cultural context, general vision and viewpoint and literary genre. So we've done a lot of work on cultural context and general vision and viewpoint. Okay, so cultural context, what kind of areas do, do, do students need to know in terms of that? I suppose if you're looking at one of the questions, comparative question uh, is discuss the author's use of setting yeah. in the, as an effective feature of storytelling. So the setting of those novels, do you think... Do you think they were, um, how would you compare them across the, the three texts or how do, you approach, um, how do you approach that question? Well, again, it's not just about comparing, it's mm. contrasting as okay. well. So obviously the setting of uh, Gatsby would be heavily contrasted with Never Let Me Go and Juno. And um, they would kind of, because they're set in more modern times and it's for the students as well, it's a more relatable time that uh, those two would be easier to compare. Um, and then similarly, I suppose, actually in Gatsby, the oil fields and stuff like that. Again, you could compare parts of that with Never Let Me Go and Juno. If we look at the cultural context of uh, Juno, um, you know, it's kind of, again, she's an outsider. She doesn't really fit in. And the same could be said of the students of Hailsham when they leave the cottages, they don't fit into normal society. And again, the same could be said of um, Gatsby mm. because he didn't fit in and now he's trying to kind of carve out this life for himself as a wealthy kind of upper class 
kind of party animal basically yeah, yeah and that's in a bid just to kind of fit in so their journeys of kind of self-discovery and self-identity are what make them comparable and then I suppose their individual qualities is what makes them uh, different to each other and what about the movie Juno how does that fit in in terms of the comparative study question and looking at relationships maybe as well there and what are the relationships in Juno there's the relationship between Juno and the father of the baby and then the potential adoptive parents as well. Well, there's sort of friction between Juno and the adoptive father. Like, they sort of click and she sort of takes a liking to him towards the ending of it. And then when she finds out that he's divorcing his wife, so she doesn't want their baby going to a dysfunctional family and that sort of sets a sad and panicked, like, mood to the film. mm Leslie, just in terms of the questions, is there anything else you think should be we should kind of touch on in terms of that comparative study question? Um, no, I think we've kind of looked at all angles of it, to be honest. Just like for things for them to include in the answer and for higher level specifically, like just to make sure that they address all the elements of the question. Like if it asks about like two or three different aspects of a text, that they address each one equally and not kind of focus on one and then at the last minute panic and add in the last one. Um, when they're writing their answer as well, all their paragraphs should involve all three texts, not actually um, focus on one text and one paragraph, the no- another text and another paragraph. Okay. They The examiners want them to be constantly comparing and contrasting back and forth between the three. That's why it's important to kind of answer the question based on the mode rather than the text. Okay. Which yeah. again is why there's like there's a huge list of prescribed texts for the leave insert. Yeah. Um so it's more the modes to focus on than the text themselves. The quality of students' exams haven't been outstanding at times. You know, I've corrected exams myself where you have the number two and the letter C and the letter U instead of, you know, proper spelling and grammar and stuff like that. So from that point of view it's important for them to have well-structured, clear, coherent answers, which involves kind of things like syntax, things like sentence structure, uh, spelling, grammar, good use of paragraphs. Um, And then I suppose something that we worked on at the start of the year was kind of trying to improve their vocab Mm. because a lot of students just don't have that necessary vocab to kind of make the push for higher level. Don't be afraid. Keep writing. That's the one thing as well. Like people forget to do their introduction and conclusion. They kind of just jump straight into it. But the introduction and conclusion are important as well. Yeah. Um, and two lines does not constitute a conclusion. So, <laughs> yeah. OK, well, that's the end of the programme. Thanks to Brandon, Alan and Sophie for coming in. Thanks to you, to Leslie, as well, You're for coming welcome. in uh, with your students and offering our listeners all that advice as well. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. OK, OK, thank Bye. you. took the Polaroid down in my room. I'm pretty sure you have a new girlfriend. It's not as if I don't like you. It just makes me sad whenever I see it. Cause I like to be gone most of the time and you like to be... That was programme two in the series Novels, Plays and School Days featuring the students of Klaus Dulig. Sophie Palmer, Alan Vickery, Brandon Crook and their teacher Leslie Dowdall.
The programme was produced and presented by Debbie Hutchins, narrated by Michael Sharp and the sound by Ethan Ikana. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. Most of the time, if I stay in-